Yeah, well, spring is upon us. Uh, Adam can barely breathe. I have some kind of phantom COVID. Uh, everyone's having the best time in the world, um, including Julio and Ciso uh, and Evan Ferguson, who a combined age of 37. Um, as a 33-year-old man, I feel kind of sad about that. <laughs> How are you feeling, Adam? <laughs> As a 35-year-old man, worse, I feel worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, I tell you what, that was um, after the frustration of the game at the weekend, this felt like a a, a ridding of, of any demons. It really did. And now it's making me incredibly excited for for this game against Spurs because you look <laughs> – you look at the table now and you and you <laughs> you start to go, okay, I can start daydreaming a bit. Like for some reason, prior to this point, it all felt very, very like house of cards-ish. Um, because everyone is still stacked on similar points, but we had those games in hand, everyone was in this same area. That's still a bit of the case, but we've we look so good in terms of form and performances. And it starts to feel a bit more real. I'm sure I've just cursed it now, but that's that's my general vibe. Yeah, I was going to say it's perfect timing now uh, because we've got Spurs coming up next here in terrible form. They're, they're fans. I don't know if you've seen their message board. Uh, I saw it on North Stand Chat this morning. Um, their first two comments on their message board as a preview to the Spurs game was quite literally telling the person who created the preview to F off and to close the board down. Uh, <laughs> So, and I think the third one was if they start with three at the back, we should be on the pitch. Um, so, so the Spurs fans are not in a good place. Uh, like you say, we really seem to have rid ourselves of some like crappiness going on here. So it's only natural that we go ahead and get beat 2-0 uh, from a Son masterclass or something stupid like that, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, inevitable. And, and, you know, Kane maybe gets touched on the shoulder and falls over and someone gets red carded and they get 15 penalties or something like that. But I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. And I, and I just, before we went live, it sounds like we sold out the allocation at Wembley. Um, I'm unfortunately not a part of that, but I believe you are, you will be, you're going to, you're going to be there for that game. It's, it's, a, it's, this is a, it's a good time. This is a good time. It really is to get the BHA boots on the ground at Wembley uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Yes. Um, I had to wait until like the very last window for my Albion Plus. I was shitting it a little bit. Um, but every time the tickets went under 5,000, the club released more, like phantom releases. Because yeah. uh, I had people that were season ticket holders just checking it every now and again. And they were like, well, there's 5,100 left today. And then the next morning, they were like, there's 2,000 people in the queue and there's 5,400 left. Uh, so I think the club were quite clever, um, just eking them out like that. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great time, isn't it? I, I didn't even get to listen to the weekend show um, because I was so ill. Um, and speaking of notable absences, Craig is not here today uh, because if anybody is tuning in live, I can see a couple of people have logged on, which honestly I'm surprised to see you at this random time uh, on a Wednesday morning or afternoon. Um, Craig is actually busy doing adult things uh, while we sit here and do this instead. Uh, so, Well, in, in testament to the, the age of the goal scorers yesterday, we are essentially behaving like teenagers. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. We're just life imitating art. Um, so let's talk uh, starting formation. Lots and lots and lots of games coming up. Very thick, very fast, right over Albion. 
um, and we are going to have to utilize the squad we have. Um, and we will talk about this at length when it comes to substitutions as well, uh, I'm sure, um, given the impact they had. Uh, but only the two changes from the weekend. Uh, how did you feel about that? Obviously, Welbeck coming out for Evan Ferguson was the big one. Um, what were you What were you feeling about that when uh, when that change was made? Yeah, there were a few things. And Craig and I talked about this on the last episode. The, the expectation was that because of this crunch of fixtures, you probably if he if he could play and he was fit, you'd you'd want Evan Ferguson to play this game to impose himself on the on Bournemouth, potentially with an eye to the Spurs game. And do you potentially then bring Welbeck back in for that because you need his experience and wiliness? Wasn't shocked with that one. The Adam Webster one, Deserby talked about this in his press conference on on Monday. He came out and said Webster's going to start. You know, I think there's Webster's not been in the greatest form. I think he was sick a few weeks back. Then he picked up a bit of a knock, um, and then just seemingly just was was second choice to to Colwell uh, realistically. Um, but he came in as one. Well I, I thought he looked good. I think the bigger thing from from my standpoint, outside of our, our changes, which frankly I was more surprised the fact we didn't rest some of the bigger international players that had travelled all over the world, was the way Bournemouth lined up. Um, and we chatted about this as well when they played against Man City and some of the bigger opposition. They placed a five at the back, um, and they didn't today. They came out fighting. Uh, when, uh, yesterday rather with a four at the back and that told me we went for a bit of a melee of a game and we were they never make it easy for us do they um they never have uh and they never will um i think it's worth talking about just because I, I was looking into it last night before the game even started um did we talk about this on whatsapp the last time we beat them uh, in the it- league it was we we also we talked about all the fixtures on the last episode and I'll tell you what, they weren't they weren't good. Two thousand and seven was the last time we beat Bournemouth in the league at their place. Um do you want to guess the scorers that day? I don't. Bass Savage and Dean Cox. Um I'm glad I didn't so guess. Basically the same kind of talent that we've got now, uh, when it comes <laughs> to CISO and Ferguson. Um I've heard it said many a time that Ferguson is just a young Bass Savage. Um mm. but yeah, big changes um, for us, like you said, and I think that the 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 Est opinion one for me, I was was the biggest surprise. I thought for sure he would be rested um, because he just has such a motor on that left hand side. I thought he would be one of the ones that would stand out for me. And given how rest. disappointed he disappointing it was against Brentford as well, um, yep. yeah. But he didn't just didn't show any signs of being tired in this game. Like he was his absolutely back to his normal self against Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, it was very odd, wasn't it? Um he he's one of those players where he has one one off game and you think, oh, that wasn't so good. And then he comes back the next week and is just excellent. Or in this case, three days later, it's as if he's like not had any time at all. Yeah, I mean that's a he's a quality player, isn't he? Uh, yeah. That's pretty much what it boils down to. But this was a, I, I know we're going, we'll dig into this, but I, this to me was one of the harder games we played all season. Like in terms of a side sussing us out, knowing what to do um, and creating a really tough 90 minutes for us or 97, if you want to add in all of the kerfuffle with the ref and all that kind of stuff, microphone and audio. 
Um, yeah. This was a hard game. This was a really hard game. Yeah, it was. Um, and the stats show it too. They they had our number a fair bit. Uh, they, they allowed us to boss the ball. They were fine with that. Um, but they outshot us before the first goal, uh, eight to four. Um, and some of those were really good chances, weren't they? They caused us all sorts of problems down the channels uh, when they broke on us and came at us hard. Um, I mean, just every single one of their players are at, like the Utara fella uh, was an absolute menace. Um, Triore was an absolute menace. Um, we we really struggled, didn't we, when we were trying to defend them down the channels? Um, and I don't even think it was a it was really our fault uh, because they've caused these issues for teams like Liverpool uh, that they beat just a couple of weeks ago um, and and others as well. We were we were going to struggle in the same way everyone else did because what they're doing is quite effective and probably the reason they're like in any chance of staying up right now, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, and when you say Liverpool, I guess you mean lower league, uh, uh, lower table sides like Liverpool. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I did. I hear on the commentary like there's only one other team that had beaten them at the Vitality this year. Uh, I think it was. I think it was. Was it was Man City? Uh, don't quote me on this. This is my memory, and it's not a very good resource. Um, but I, I could see why. Like the, this is, I think Bournemouth up until fairly recently where they've had a couple of decent results and I'm, I'm still managed to get whipped away from home, don't they, fairly often. But they do not look like the same side that earlier on in the season you looked through the table and you said, this is the side I want to face because I want to pick up three easy points. Um, and as you've said, historically, that's never been the case when we've gone to them. It's never really been the case when we've played them. But they do like a really organised side. I think that... The bigger thing for me is, is and, and you saw this about 70 minutes in, and I know we'll go through the game, but their press was very organized and they did it in such a way whereby they made us really, really uncomfortable. And you saw that a lot when we were trying to play out from the back. And they, they basically played in a bit of a 4-4-2, but they played it smart. So when when the we were trying to distribute the ball, the the, the they absolutely clogged up the center of the pitch and stopped a lot of the distribution happening. And when they attacked... They pushed down the wings really heavily, which meant that when Estupinian and Veltman had pushed up, there was lots of gaps behind us on the wings. So it's like they defended centrally and they attacked um, down the wings. It was really good, but they, they started to run out of energy. And you saw that towards the end of the game, it, it, the second goal for us felt more inevitable after we'd held them off for all of that time in the first half. But let's not make any mistake about this. If they'd have scored in the first half, which feasibly they probably should have done. More than once. Very different game. More than once, too. They had a couple of really good chances. And in fairness to us, we also could have scored a fair few as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, They they were not the best defensively either, were they? Evan Ferguson had a chance after his first that was significantly easier than the one he put in the back of the net. Well, Um, it's not saying much, is it? But yeah. (laughs) And as you said uh, last night, if Solly March decided to not hit it at the keeper, he probably was going to score an absolute easy peasy goal as well. Um, let's talk that first goal though, uh, because it really is. We could probably spend the next half hour talking about it. Um, absolute filth. <laughs> Ever, Evan Ferguson had a great week and a half away with the Republic of Ireland. Uh, 18 years old, leading the line at the international level. He's now leading the line at a top six level uh, at 18 years old um, and has the confidence and instinct 
um, that you really can't train into someone really at any age uh, to pop the ball away. In the Sounds like the it, dogs agree as well. Yeah, um, yeah, the dogs, the dogs are very happy about Evan Ferguson. Um, but what did you make of that? Uh, because initially, I, I really wasn't quite sure what the goal was. Like, I wasn't quite sure how he took it um, until the replay, and then I was just like blown away at the confidence of the lad. I didn't, I didn't really understand it either. And there's also the fact that about six minutes into the game, he was essentially through on goal uh, and was trying to motor away and, and wasn't able to to do it. Uh, I'm watching a replay of it right now as well, and I still, it still doesn't look right. It still doesn't look like he should have scored it because um, the the ball comes in from Matoma on the left hand side, and again, like. <sighs> what else do we say about Matoma at this point? Uh, how many goal contributions has he had? Like it, it, it's a ridiculous, ridiculous amount. Um, but he sort of, it looks like Ferguson stumbles a little bit, but then very intentionally hits it with his left in a sort of back heelish motion and then pops it into the, the, the bottom right corner. It's, it's one of the weirdest, like, finishes the fact that he managed to extend his left leg to do that because he wasn't that close to the goal it wasn't like he's two feet out and he just pops it in uh it's just remarkable to do that when you are 18 and you've played about seven games it's yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it's just madness isn't it um and at that point it had been pretty in the balance um obviously going to goal up is a massive help for this team. Uh, although we've showed we're perfectly capable of chasing from behind as well. Um, but we really had to endure a tough five minutes after that, didn't we? Um, and we we showed at the weekend, we're not quite good at that at times, really, in, in during a bit of pressure. Um, because whenever Brentford seemed to turn it on at all, uh, we fell apart a little bit. Yesterday, not the case at all. Um, we were able to keep them at bay for those five minutes. And after that, and, you know, we're then about three or four minutes away from halftime. After that, it never really felt like we were in any trouble, did it? It felt like you said, like, they just got more tired and we got more and more comfortable. And the game-changing substitutions we'll talk about later on that Gary O'Neill, I think, was hoping to be making, uh, they, I mean, you wouldn't have known they'd been made at all, would you? No, but, you know, some of this comes down to the fact that the players that Bournemouth are trying to, you know, get their goal from are not Ivan Tony and company. Let's make, make no mistake about that. That Brentford had, what, three opportunities and scored three goals. Bournemouth had four or five guilt-edged opportunities and either Jason still pulled off good saves or it was hit straight at him or they knocked it just wide. Like, Different team with better quality there. And and honestly, like it worried me a bit because there were a lot of signs of defensive frailty. We still had those complete switch-offs at set pieces. We still had defensive lapses where through balls were played in either on the ground or over the top. And we just, it, it looked like we fell asleep. Something's not quite right there. So I agree with you. Like you look at the, the score sheet and you go, okay, well, we kept, we kept them at bay. We stopped them from what they were doing. I, I, I still saw troubling signs there that when we do play a side like City in the coming weeks, they won't do the same things that Bournemouth did. They're going to act a lot more like a Brentford side. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Once you sort of got into the second half and those substitutions were made from their standpoint, 
it didn't I didn't feel as nervous anywhere near as I did in the first half. Yeah, uh, they had 1.9 xG yesterday. 1.7 of it came in the first 40 minutes. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's. I mean, right. that speaks really volumes, doesn't it? Um, what you're watching is indeed what's happening. <laughs> in hey, that that's case. good for me, honestly. <laughs> I'm fairly impressed. This doesn't normally work like that. Uh, no, it doesn't. We talk about stats not not matching the eye test a lot with this Brighton team, uh, but yesterday it pretty much did, which is nice. Um, Stephen in the chat noting that Ferguson's goal was reminiscent of McAllister's a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's just a confidence thing, isn't it? This team are just bubbling with it, um, and you can tell throughout they are just so confident on the ball, off the ball, even when they arguably shouldn't be when it comes to set pieces and the like. Uh, because I think that we now have statistically the worst set piece conversion rate. And the worst set piece conceding rate yep. is that right? Yeah, uh, that I suspect uh, is a summer holiday project uh, for Deserby and Co, isn't it? I better be. <laughs> yeah, I mean we we discussed this because Brentford the Brentford game was really a more of a stark reminder of this, but um, yeah, it was it was it was not good here either, and uh, hopefully that doesn't make us come unstuck. The, the good news is is we're and this is a this is what the hallmarks of a good side is. And it feels very bizarre to say this, right? As in, we can have these massive lapses, these massive frailties, these massive issues with certain parts of our game. And we're still... The, the last two games we've played, we conceded three, three goals in one of them. Three goals at home against a side that had about three opportunities. And then we played Bournemouth... And then it felt like they gave us a real scare and we still walked away with four points. That is incredible. And an older Brighton team, you, you walk away from these two games with one point. That's the difference. And it's it's players like Evan Ferguson that take their chances. It's players like Matoma and it's whatever Deserby's instilled in them to keep fighting and keep fighting that is just a different different gravy with this team. I don't, I don't think I've seen the never say die stuff um, as extreme as this yeah. in any Brighton side in the last 27 years or whatever, I would say I've been supporting them for. Um, there just isn't, doesn't matter who, who you look at. I don't, I don't think there's any that are so just unfazed by conceding a goal. Um, they just keep coming and coming and coming. Um, and as you say, with the quality we've got now in that front area, uh, which ironically we've had all along. Um, we just weren't playing them to the best of their ability, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and we'll talk about the reasons for that as well. We've not even touched on that yet. Um, well, uh, we let's also that. clarify that, that not how, how many months ago. So what was 12 months ago? No. So let's say what 15, 16 months ago, Matoma was playing for saint Joie. Yep. Still. Uh, Caicedo was now a bit before then, a little before then, he was at the bottom side in the Belgian league. Yeah. And Solly March couldn't hit the back of a barn door. Solly March on the bench. <laughs> and now Mat- Matoma is uh, quoting uh, my favorite journalist, becomes the first Brighton player with a goal involvement in five Premier League games in a row. He's been directly involved in 11 goals and has lost 15 league appearances, seven goals, four assists. He's absolutely on fire. 
even if you're for some reason listening to this and you're not a Brighton fan, put Matoma in your fantasy team. Uh, he is paying dividends. We've seen what Solly March can do. Hopefully he starts putting the ball either side of the keeper instead of straight at him in the next couple of games. And obviously Caicedo, spoiler alert, he's my man of the match. He was absolutely impeccable yesterday. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And fit for the next game, which is really important. Uh, well, they battered us, didn't they? They battered us like actually from like a physical standpoint yesterday. That's that's the risk when we talk about depth. I like, oh God, three players were down at various points. You're like, please, no. Yeah. You, you, you're you like, oh no, they're really important. Then you come to realise actually like they're all important <laughs> because it's yeah. not a huge amount underneath them. Um, so that is, yeah, it's very scary. Uh, but um, they've all came away unscathed in the end, uh, despite the amount of time they spent down on the ground uh, because they did get kicked the crap out of. Um Second half came out. Uh, they made a couple of different substitutions. Nothing really stuck for, for Bournemouth, um, but it certainly stuck for us, didn't it? Uh, the the substitutions on the 72nd, 79th minute, um, they really were game-winning. Um, Welbeck and CISO uh, both on for Ferguson and McAllister, uh, and then Caicedo was taken off as a precaution as well for Yasin Ayari, uh, the young lad we signed in January. Let's talk Ayari first. Um, he's apparently been a Premier League midfielder for the last 10 years, hasn't he? Uh, how comfortable did he look in that last 15 minutes yesterday? I, I don't think I've seen... I, McAllister didn't look that comfortable in a 10-minute cameo when he was coming on, did he? Yeah, I mean, uh, he did. He looked good. And again, I think I'm... Uh, uh, hopefully, I'm not doing him a, a, too much of a disservice here, but Bournemouth had run their race by the time he came on. So it was a perfect situation for him to come into, but he looked comfortable. And look, this is a guy that we, you know, paid 50 quid for. Uh, well, you, you know what I mean? But it, the point being is they, most clubs buy these players and, and they, they don't even get a sniff at the first team for three years. They've gone on loan somewhere and probably 90% chance they don't work out. And we, you know, we're bringing a guy on in a, a fairly, um, tricky Premier League game and he comes on and impresses uh, and you know he's just just been removed from the womb what is he 19 so uh, and I like the other subs as well like the, of course we're going to talk about Julio and CISO but Evan Ferguson uh, didn't have quite the same impact in the second half as he did in the first um, and, and there's no there's no fault of his own Bournemouth were playing fairly intensely it felt like he was fairly stranded up there and Welbeck was a good resource to be able to, for him to drop a little bit deeper and do what he does well. So I actually really like the subs that we did yesterday. And of course, the, the one that's going to get all the plaudits is in CISO. Yeah. Um, I mean, we made those subs. Uh, Bournemouth responded in the 85th minute with a triple substitution. Um, and from the minute that happened to the end, we had 75% possession. Um, so <laughs> the way the way you stop a team uh, having any impact when they make a big game game chasing triple sub is to simply not allow them to have the ball. Um, and Pascal Gross, as per usual, uh, picks out a pass from absolutely nowhere to just cut apart about six different defenders um, who then forgot that they were defenders. I'm not sure if they were rebooting or what they were <laughs> doing. Uh, but and CISO turned into space, uh, that space being the six-yard box, um, where he was allowed to take about four touches um, with the defenders just watching him 
uh, before comfortably popping it into the bottom left-hand corner. Uh, and the game was fully wrapped up uh, at that point. Is that not just the stupidest finish you've seen in a while? Like, what on earth was was going... I can only assume uh, Mr... I think it was Stevens, wasn't it? Yes. Jack Stevens uh, was just so unbelievably rattled from Enciso not backing down uh, when he tried to front him up, uh, considering he's about eight inches taller than him, um, that he just kind of showed his respect and allowed him to to score after that because he just he stopped dead still, didn't he? Uh, it, this was so weird. And I, I'm glad you brought up Gross because I was looking, when you're watching that, it, you're absolutely right. You, I didn't see a pass. I didn't see an opening for a pass and he just bullets the ball in and Nassiso does well to actually take the touch. Um, and it was such a penetrating pass that once he's sort of gone round the, the remaining defender, it was just him in a one-on-one and, and Stevens, who was behind him at this point, couldn't do anything because it would have been a penalty like immediately. But yeah, you're right. Look, not a few moments before that, you had Enciso who probably went soaking wet. I think he weighs in at 10, just shy of 10 stone. So 140 pounds, just less than for, for American listeners. He's five, six. Uh, and he sidled up to Stevens like it was like a little terrier getting angry at like a, a much bigger dog. That's what it felt like. But he took it with such confidence. And I'm glad he did. It made me nervous as I was watching it because because he's not a proven goal scorer. You thought to yourself, oh, my God, how is he going to cock this up? Why isn't he just putting it in the corner? But Neto had played such a good game. How many how many shots did Neto I was going to say stop? the same thing. Like, give, give Neto his due. He he made two world-class saves before that. He really did. So I'm glad, I've, you know, half of me feels like if he did just take the shot first time, Neto just somehow pulls out an amazing stop. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad he didn't. And God, he was happy, wasn't he? And the whole rest of the team, you, you saw the camaraderie, camaraderie with this team and how happy they are for one another with that celebration. And especially all the other guys from South America like rallying around him, the shots in the in the changing room afterwards as well. Just a, just a great sign. And by the way, outside of the goal, he looked really sharp just since he was coming on. He picked up the ball and he created a different dynamic that we hadn't had in the game prior to that point. Which is funny, isn't it? Because after losing Sarmiento, it felt like we'd lost that that kind of player that can come on and make an impactful change and that sharpness. Uh, and Sarmiento seems to have taken to the league uh, quite comfortably. Of course, he's had a fair bit more time in the league now than, than Enciso and others, but... He uh, losing him with this running coming was was a bit worrying, wasn't it? Because you were like, "Well, can you hear him brawling again?" Like this, just a, just a little bit. It sounds like a wrestling match. Yeah, yeah, it is. They're fighting over a sock now. Um, so <laughs> I hate them. Uh, I don't. Yeah, uh, listening to this, I love them. But um, <laughs> the uh, the the fact is, we we needed we need some impact players coming off the bench. Uh, and Sarmiento seemed to be the biggest one of them all. Uh, so to see Enciso seemingly take that label uh, and suddenly become massively comfortable, and not only that, but he just seems so much quicker, like mind-wise, uh, in the last two or three cameos he's had. From West Ham, really, when he almost scored that absolute belter, since then, he seems to have upped it quite significantly. 
I don't know whether something's just clicked for him uh, or whether it's just putting in the hard hard yards, playing with these, playing with Duncan Webster and that in practice every single day, something has flicked on for him. But he he looks like he's going to be quite comfortable taking hold of that that impact player substitution point at this point, don't you think? Yeah, I, I mean, even if you think about it, I know we've we've made light out of this in the past, but against Brentford, the the guy that gets you the penalty is Dennis Indaf, uh, another guy that comes into the game right at the end and makes a difference. Uh, you, you've now got Ancisa who's come on as a sub and made that made the ultimate difference to get us get us the win. Um, we, we talked about Ari briefly. It's early, but there's interesting signs there. Buenanote got some game time. Uh, against Brentford too still a lot of question marks there but the point being is I, I, I like the options we have off the bench now I don't like them as starters but as impact subs they are incredibly compelling especially because broadly the league they're unknown quantities to the league as well but how do you defend against you saw the tweets they're like who the hell is this who's in CISO they've just made up another player and look, I know scouting networks are deep, but they do not have as much data and film on Julio and CISO as they do on Solly March or Matoma at this point. So bringing in this sort of what, joker that you can come from the pack at, at the 80 minutes into a game is just such a such a great privilege that we have. And, and we're seeing the impact of that. Yeah, you pro- you're probably thinking the same if you're Gary O'Neill, aren't you? You're like, oh, McAllister and Kaiseido are hurt. Uh, who who the who the fuck is Yasin Arari and why is he making my midfield look stupid? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's got to be so demoralising. Um, and Saturday afternoon when it rolls around, you know we could bring on Bonanotte and he could do something outrageous as well. We're having the same conversation again because they do just keep getting pumped off the production line, don't they? It's remarkable, but I think, you know, probably the the most important topic that everyone wants us to discuss today is um, what's going on with Billy Gilmore. Uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness, what does this guy have to do to get a game? Is he like, is he just completely fallen off? I mean, he was on the bench, wasn't he? Like, it was, but what, he's he not had a sniff. No, he wasn't. Uh, a 19-year-old Ayari was, was, I mean, we're, we're talking the same with, it's kind of the same conversation we had about Steele and Sanchez, isn't it? Like the obvious pick that you would assume would continue to keep being number one slash the obvious centre midfielder you'd bring on for, my, for Kaiseido and McAllister is, is Gilmore and you decide to bring on Ayari instead. But he's getting, he's got not a sniff as well. Like you have to wonder whether he's not just in the not, cup, nothing. He's not picking up Deserby's game. He just isn't getting it. Which um, is quite sad uh, for... Gilmore and Scotland as a general, because a year and a half ago, well, before his time, I think it was Norwich, wasn't it? Prior to that, he was setting the world on fire and he's just fell off a cliff. An Aaron Connolly-esque fall. Um, in terms yeah. Of it's like, it is a shame. Well, hopefully that that does change. But in, I mean, in the meantime, we're, we're, we're picking out the very small, tiny downside. Like, but the, Otherwise, we're getting away from what is essentially a, well, a, a historic season and a historic set of performances. Let's let's face it, absolutely. Is. And look, we've, record, we've recorded the last podcast an hour before um, our former manager was relieved of his duties at Stamford Bridge. And 
Tell you what, by the way, great time. Yeah. If you want to discuss like a sliding doors moment, I mean, you and I talked about this on text. I know I'm going completely off tangent here, but just the idea that, do you remember the feeling, if you're listening right now, do you remember that feeling you had when it was announced that Potter was going? Forget everything that's happened over the last few months. Potter was going, everything that we built, we'd already got rid of uh, our best couple of players from last year. We hadn't made any big, big signings over the summer. Bruno and the back from staff were ripped out. We'd already lost Ashworth. And we were sat there thinking, how bad is the relegation battle going to get? Like, on a, on a, maybe that was just me, but I know at least generally we were thinking last season's finish. We're not going to be able to top that. Is this going to now be a lower half battle? Like, can we get to 12th or something, given everything that's happened? And hopefully we rebuild in the coming summer. Turns out, uh, I mean, how could you? I don't even know how to describe what happens next. How could you predict this? How could you predict Grand Potter's out of work? Bruno is currently managing Chelsea on an interim basis. Snake the snake. Snake the snake. Chelsea are in 11th place in the Premier League, and we are in sixth with games in hand with a manager that was just debunked about going to Chelsea to replace Graham Potter. What is this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to remember um, what that feeling was like, we had an emergency podcast on it uh, and we read out a lot of comments that day. Um, And Adam is not being overzealous in his uh, doomerism (laughs) because it was widely felt. I think the idea was like, well, I'm glad we got the points we did while he was here because we're going to really struggle from here on out if there's going to be this size, well, with this seismic shift. Um, we said then, and we've said all along, that Chelsea seemed like a terrible match, even with the new man in charge, even with his past at the LA Dodgers. And we talked about the fact that you don't get that chance in Europe in in football you don't get that chance because you don't just finish last and draft number one pick like that's not how it works Todd um you can't play 4-4-3 you can't draft a number one overall pick from Manchester United if you finish bottom like none of these things apply and I think that his heart was in the right place Bowley when he did what he did but he had no understanding of the game no understanding of the league, no understanding of the culture, no understanding of how the system works, how the game itself works. He had no understanding at all. And it seemed like a match made in hell. And Potter went because he wanted to be the highest paid manager in the world. And you can't blame a person for doing that. But in hindsight, holy shit, he's got to be keep. It's got to keep him awake at night, doesn't it? You, do you not think, or do you think he's just like, nah, fuck him. <laughs> Uh, Bowley, I don't think anything. No, Potter. Oh, Potter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, I, I, I know, I know, I've got a, a but look, I, I understand the hatred towards Potter, and and I agree, the way in which it was done was bad, uh, and I've got no, I don't, I don't want to see Potter come back at any, but I don't care about any of that. But the point being is. I feel bad for him as a human being because clearly this man 
was having some form of a breakdown over the past few months. The pressure got to him. It was it didn't work. He was out of his depth, and, and I pity him for that. At the same time, the guy essentially could retire now. He's probably got enough money with a payout of, of whatever capacity, and he's going to go have to rebuild his career. And I think I mentioned this in, in WhatsApp with you guys. It, it feels very Moyes-esque. It, um, going back to the time where, you know, Moyes at Everton was seen as this, uh, you know, absolute master of his craft. Uh, and he goes on to Man United. The job pr- is proven too big for him for, you know, various reasons. And his career falls apart and he's he's off he's off coaching in Spain at some point afterwards and has to rebuild yeah. things. You know, that's to me, this is that's the Potter situation. Um, but it's already raised interest, and we've joked about this before, but now the national like media are getting a hold of it, especially after the Deserby rumours that are now debunked came out yesterday of going to Chelsea of why didn't why didn't Clear Lake and Todd Bowley and, and Egg Barley just per, try and purchase Brighton if, if you're taking everyone and you want that model? Uh and and you know there's there's some there's some truth to that because what are they looking for like what do they actually want but it goes back to the point we've made before everyone is envious of the way this club is run and the way it's structured and what it's able to do we are the success story brighton hove albion are the cinderella story of the premier league uh, we, we are in sixth place we we have no no right to be in sixth place with the players that we have, the amount of money that we spend, that it is absolutely unwarranted. The fact that we are there on merit, on merit, we deserve to be there, is yeah. utterly remarkable. I think even Simon Jordan said we're like three years ahead of these teams, these Chelsea's, these these teams that want to become what we are. That we're three years ahead of them. They Weird. want to buy this. If they could buy this, they would pay any price. Well, they did. They paid £600 million. Right. And they ain't got it. They still ain't so- got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stephen in the chat saying, Bowley must be watching too much Ted Lasso. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for the Cliff Kingsbury announcement then. They're uh, <laughs> coming into Chelsea next week. I don't care who they sign, quite frankly, but I'd be. I, it's weird if they were to sign Nagelsmann, you know, a... a with bizarrely a guy my own age that, that if you're talking about the fact that Potter lost the dressing room at Chelsea uh, because they they didn't did he necessarily ever have respect it? him well precisely did he ever have it we didn't he doesn't didn't have the credibility and I think a lot of those players thought they were bigger and better than him and quite frankly maybe they maybe they are what Nagelsmann's had a brief stint at Bayern where he's been forced out is he going to have that same air of credibility I I'm biased here because Luis Enrique was one of my favourite players growing up, weirdly. And uh, I hope he doesn't go to Chelsea, but um, I think he's the right man for the job. But anyway, this is not a Chelsea podcast and fuck him. No, there are plenty of, I mean, let's, this is, uh, this is, this is the talent of, uh, of the podcast. And this is how talented we generally are. Let's, let's segue onto another team that are uh, <laughs> our manager, Tottenham Hotspur, who we happen to be playing this weekend. See? smooth oh that is smooth good yeah. Well, yeah we planned that for two um, hours prior exactly exactly that was that part of the notes where i saw bridge bridge to spurs um, bridge to spurs yeah, yeah. <laughs> um another team that are managerless uh their fans are just beyond despair at the moment they are not in the best place in the world um and we have to head to them again uh, another away day uh we don't play at home until 
April 29th, I think it is, for Wolves, uh, which is just mad. I don't, I don't know many teams that have had to do this in a long time, play six, seven back-to-back away games. Mm. Um, but Spurs are not in a good place. Uh, they played Everton on Monday night, um, drew 1-1, uh, didn't look very good the whole way through. Lucas Moura arguably could have a 10-game ban with the with the tackle he put in. I mean, Michael Keane was lucky to have a career, let alone score a winner at the end. Uh, after that one, uh, they weren't able to beat Southampton the week prior. Um, they've lost to Wolves. They've lost to Sheffield United, of course, in the FA Cup. Uh, they were just dire against AC Milan. Um, their only good result that came recently was at home to Forest, um, who have also came out and said that Steve Cooper is going to remain the boss, but we're not that confident in him. Uh, never yeah. Heard, never heard such Poor a... Poor Cooper. He's out. <laughs> He's gone. The weirdest, weirdest thing um, I've seen. Like, I, like, when your own board can't give you a... like. Not even the board has full confidence in you. It's, it's, it's a, a vote of confidence. That's, vote, <laughs> that's, of, that's what yeah. it was. A vote of eh. <laughs> like, eh. He's here, I suppose. Like It was very, very strange. Um, but Spurs are not in good form at the minute. They they really aren't. They're, they're falling away uh, from that top four fight. They're con- Spurs fans are convinced they're not going to get anywhere near it, um, which is a little bit extreme. Uh, but these big boy fans always tend to be, don't they? Um, but we are well on their tail. Uh, we are four points behind them. We have two games in hand and we play them uh, this weekend. The very definition, Adam, wouldn't you say, that uh, at game 20 set, 28 for us is a Champions League six-pointer, is it not? It's just a silly conversation, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, it is. It is. Say it out loud. Say it. Uh, no, I won't. I'm not going manif- <laughs> to. I'm not manifesting that. Uh, this is <laughs> so. Spurs are abject, yes, uh, but at home they've been a lot better than they've been away, uh, and they are obviously two deplorable results the last two games for them away from home. But as you say, they beat Forest at home recently. They beat Chelsea at home recently. They comfortably beat West Ham at home. They beat Man City at home. Going back a few weeks, their home form is a lot better than their away form. This will not be an easy game. It doesn't matter. They've got Ronald McDonald on the sideline. Like they, they still have the players that can that can hurt. Um, now, can we take the energy of the, I think the last game we played, because we played them in the cup, didn't we? And they battered us last season. Then we played them in the league afterwards and then we embarrassed them. Like if we can take that, I think that's right. If we can take that energy to this game, uh, I think we can have their number, but it's not going to be easy. But when we start saying words like easy at this point, you can't define easy when you're playing Spurs, Chelsea, Man City, Man United in four games in a row. Uh, easy's gone. Easy is gone. There are no easy games now. Uh, they're all going to be tricky. If we just keep doing what we're doing and clear up some of the kind of deficiencies in the game, I think we can beat any side in this league. I, I really do. Uh, remove the cliches from it. I feel like we can we can get a result against anyone. Let's just play our game. That's 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 the hope uh, against any of these sides, regardless of their form. Yeah, Alex in the chat summarised it well as well. We need to channel the energy that got us here. Um, one thing's for sure, uh, there probably won't be a point apiece. Uh, Spurs have not drawn at home all season. 
they either win or they lose. Zero draws. So no one else a, in the it'll be a draw then, will it? Okay. Nil-nil, yeah. Um, our away form, though, uh, would put us third in the league on away tables. Not many people have a better away record than us. Uh, no prizes for guessing Arsenal or Manchester City, the only two better. Um, our away record is incredibly impressive, isn't it? If there's ever a team that could go to a Spurs or a Forest in recent in the coming weeks who are incredibly talented at home as well, Bournemouth, as you said, I looked into the stat, they were, they've only lost once at home in 2023. Right. So if there is a team that can go to these places that typically teams are good at home, I'm not going to take the Emirates into account, for example, because we'd probably lose there because they're very good. Uh, but for teams like Spurs and Forest that we're playing this month that are really important games at their place, there is literally nobody better placed as an away side to play them, barring the two teams that are currently in title race. Yeah, and if, you, if you're going to play Spurs and Chelsea away from home at any point, you kind of want it to be now. Uh, you really do. It's not like you can time the end of a manager's reign. As nice as it would have been. Well, I'm still, I know I'm getting away from the Spurs game, but the, the idea of playing at Stamford Bridge with Bruno as the manager. I was going to get to that. How do you out. think that's going to go? How do you oh. Not well. I mean, the, the, I said to you yesterday, like, I just you know, can imagine if it was at the Amex. Can you imagine the reception? Bruno's, you know, strides up in his trackie uh, in, in Chelsea. Just a weird, weird timeline. Uh, I think it's it's going to be bizarre, but I'm glad. I'm glad we're playing these sides now. Like, this is a good time to play Spurs. Chelsea are going to be. All eyes, all focus on the Champions League because they've got nothing else to play for, uh, and they're going to get battered by Real Madrid. So hopefully, they come. You know that game to us. They're not necessarily all entirely focused and are in turmoil. Yeah, I mean they're going to be playing. They're going to be playing in Madrid that midweek prior to playing us. So they've got a long way to go, uh, a horrible game to play, <laughs> and then to come back to play us in. I don't know how many we get, three, 4,000 tickets. Uh, it's probably going to sound like 30,000 uh, there because the Chelsea fans are probably not going to be particularly loud given the state that they're in currently. Um, but you mentioned that. like it's We're also in that very unique uh, and very lucky limbo, aren't we, where we're not facing a new manager bounce either yet because both of these teams are rightly, by the way, taking their time with their next appointment. So we're actually quite fortunate that we're running into these teams prior to their next man and after their their their, their messes, right? Like it's it's quite a lucky little gateway that we've got open to us. Yeah, well, I th- I agree, but I do think by the time we play Chelsea in what is that like ten days, you will either have Julian Nagelsmann or Luis Enrique sat in the stand. Uh, for yes, that I think so too. Uh, and whether it is Bruno or whether they've drafted Frank Lampard in, which is the latest rumor to be a caretaker for the time being, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what impact that will have. But um, yeah, it, this Saturday is going to be such an intriguing game because uh, okay, let's let's speculate. Let's let's have a little fun. <laughs> what does the table look like if we beat them? 
If, if we beat Spurs, we move to 49. Let's say we win the game 1-0. We get yeah, not much points. changes in terms of where we're going to be numeric-wise. We're going to stay in sixth regardless. But we would have an extra game. We'd be one point off of them with a better goal difference. We'll have two extra games. Two extra games. Because they'll be playing too. That's correct. I forgot that they are involved in the game we would be yep. playing. Yeah, yeah, that's how football works. <laughs> uh, and then, let's be honest, Man U's form lately, tragic. Yeah. Uh, and their upcoming fixtures, let's take a look. Brentford, not going to be that easy. Not at all. Everton at home, three points. Yeah. Uh, Forest away, not easy. Forest away is not an easy game. And then they they've got uh, They've got Sevilla as well at some point there. Oh, that's same, right. They're going to be very focused on that, aren't same they? Same week yeah. as Chelsea, yeah. They're, I'm not sure where it falls, but there's they have that to worry about as well. And the FA Cup, of course. Yeah, it, but it's where the pressure is on them, not like us. No, no, the pressure there. There is no pressure on this team. There is no pressure on this team. It doesn't matter what happens for the rest of the season. This has been an absolutely unbelievable, unparalleled, unprecedented success of a season with with what we've had, uh, with all of the upheaval that we had towards the start of the year. This has been un un unreal. Uh, the fact that we got a manager that moved to Chelsea and then our current manager that was drafted in that had, let's face it, played some cool football in Serie A with the team, but he was playing, he was a manager in the in the Ukraine and wasn't, like there was a ton of question marks around De Zerbi and now De Zerbi's being linked with the best jobs in football. Yeah. Like, and what? But we're, we're sixth, we're looking downwards at Villa who are in very good form. Liverpool, Brentford, Fulham. The team, we, the team we have to play at Villa on last game of the season. But yes, it tricky. already fills me with trepidation. It's tricky. Uh, they, they've, you know, as you said yesterday, Unai Emery in place now. They are an absolutely different, different prospect to what they were earlier on the season, where they decided to tank their their season as much as they possibly could under Steven Gerrard. Um, but this is this is uncharted territory for this club and. If, if if we don't get ahead of ourselves and we just focus on the fact that we are playing each of these teams and playing the way Deserby is telling the team to play, which is working its socks off, then everything's good. Like even even those games against Brentford where you get frustrated and ends 3-3 and there's some issues where you're just like, oh, we should have got more points there. The fact is our last five Premier League games have been three wins and two draws. We're sixth in the table. Like it's just it doesn't matter, is what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. We can get everything is it, we could lose 2-0 to Spurs and then we you know, get a draw against Chelsea and we're still in a, a remarkable position. Yeah. There's uh there's a lot of football to be played in a very short amount of time. Um we're gonna see an awful lot of things chop and change over the next couple of weeks. Uh we are in a position where we really don't have any pressure. Like we are, we are the, despite everybody loving the model that we have and all this stuff, we are the underdog here. We Every side are. around us has drastically more pressure on them than we do. And drastically more resources. And I'm including Villa in that too. Well, these, these sides like Villa, as well. Villa are miles ahead of us have money spent. The, 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 the projections that these clubs make when it comes down to wages and uh, transfers 
uh, and accounting for financial fair play, when they miss out on certain European competitions, it completely cripples their potential over the course of the next one to three seasons. We have not accounted for money coming in from <laughs> European competition. Like that's when we say there's no pressure. That we're, that's what we're talking about. Like it, one of Spurs and Man U is going to miss out on Champions League football. Liverpool and Chelsea might miss out on European football. Now you'd you'd assume Liverpool are going to find their way out of this weird mess that they're in, but those are the sides where you're like they're going to start having to cull players off their teams because especially Chelsea. You think what do you think financial fair play looks at that and they go okay great you finished in tenth and you spent eleventy billion dollars on players. Uh, you've got two squads that you have to play at training. Uh, because you've got so many damn players to figure out, they're going to have to sell the farm. Like this is how, we, and we do not have to do that. Yeah, uh, I think the only pressure at this point you should feel as a Brighton fan is that this golden era will 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 dampen somewhat if we don't make European football, uh, because there are going to be a lot of lot of dollars and pound signs being thrown around for a lot of these players um, if we do not make it into Europe. Your Mitomas, your Caicedos, your Alex McAllisters, Evan Ferguson, all of them, all of them are going to have a lot of money coming in for them. Uh, and with just a just a Europa Conference League place, you have got an awful lot more stopping power when it comes to that player wanting to stay. Just a little bit longer um, when it comes to these players. If you're Evan Ferguson... At this point, you're 18 years old, 19 maybe come the summer. Are you going to want to risk it? Are you going to want to risk going to Chelsea for 80 million quid uh, and then maybe never playing again? <laughs> like you, you're 18, like you you got a guaranteed year playing European football, guaranteed. All you need to do is stay where you are, and at the worst case scenario, you're still going to be paid a shit ton of money as a Premier League footballer anyway. Look, I need Evan Ferguson to, I'm still happy if he scores, but I need him to score crapper goals. Like, he can't do what he did against Bournemouth because it gets too many eyeballs on it. Uh, like, just side foot, just side foot the ball and you get your goal. But I don't, I don't want highlight real stuff because it's going to just increase the demand and he's going to leave sooner rather than later. And I, I don't, but you're right. Yeah. But there's, the squad is now filled, not just the squad, the dugout and the squad are filled with, you know, these these gems that people are going to want off of us. And and by the way, this isn't any new thing. Like this is this has just been the case of the club in recent history. How many times did we talk about the fact that we're going to lose X, Y, and Z? We're going to lose Potter at some point. Like let's figure out the consistency there. Yes, th- those things can happen, but they're good things that ultimately are coming from uh success. Uh and while this period might be transient and short-lived and a, and a quote-unquote golden era as you say that's okay you'd rather have this than not there are clubs that have reached not even these dizzy heights and then fallen back down the pyramid and then gone into administration uh, we are nowhere near that so you just got you just got to enjoy it and i think look I, I would be devastated at this point i cannot believe i'm saying this devastated if we missed out on european football given where we're at now however you know what happens with clubs that scrape European football? We've seen it time and time again. That season becomes really tricky. You've got a lot of games. You've had to build the squad out a lot more because you because you, you need a lot more depth for the additional fixtures you have, the additional travel, the additional pressure. And 
as you said, we make Europe, the, the calls for these players to go elsewhere is going to be heightened uh, in some ways. It's, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't make Europe, they're going to be like, oh, I want to leave and go play Europe. If you make Europe, the other clubs will be like, oh my God, these players made Europe. We want them. Uh, so if you lose some of them, then your problem is like, okay, now I've got to replace Matoma and Caicedo for a European football season, but I already needed more depth. We're already way light on players. As it's Stephen in the chat, Brighton's bench it like a bunch of mascots, a bench of mascots. Yes, and, and that could that that problem is going to be exacerbated potentially if we make or don't make Europe. It, either way, there's going to be a lot of spending that happens in the summer. How big, how big those checks are that we're able to write is going to depend on where we end up finishing. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, I think that just about summarizes everything we need to talk about, to be honest. Um I think the biggest loser out of all of this, if we were to make European football, is probably USG and the Lone Army, uh, because no one's going it. <laughs> no one's going anywhere at that point. Uh, because we'll be keeping another six players on back on backup, right? Your Simon Adingra is ain't going I was gonna say, anywhere. don't forget about Simon Adingra. He's been looking <laughs> good. Uh, yep. uh and I expect we'll see him next year. Absolutely, one hundred percent. He looks way too good to not. Um, he's making a bigger impact than Mitoma was. Uh, I'll say that. Yeah. And look at what we've got here. All right. Uh, so that's just about everything. We will see you this weekend uh, for Spurs review. Um, so have a good couple of days um, and just keep looking up the table instead of down because uh, this one is a big one. Champions League six point. Don't forget. Yeah. 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 Cheers all. Thank you.